locusts in Joel to bones in Ezekiel. Chapter 37. The hand of Yahweh was upon me. He brought me out in the spirit of Yahweh and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. He led me around them. Behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord Yahweh, you know. And then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of Yahweh. Thus says the Lord Yahweh to those bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. And you shall know that I am Yahweh. So I prophesied as I was commanded, And as I prophesied, there was a sound, behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there wasn't any breath in them. And then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, Say to the breath, thus says the Lord Yahweh, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived. And they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. And then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, our hopes lost, and we are indeed cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord Yahweh, Behold, I will open your graves, raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am Yahweh, When I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land, then you shall know that I am Yahweh. I have spoken. I will do it, declares Yahweh. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we are grateful for your spirit, thankful for you giving yourself to us through Jesus and through your Holy Spirit being poured out upon your people. Lord, make your words come alive to us today. Shape us in our worship and the preaching of your words. Speak through me and shape our hearts 
shape our hearts to be directed, to be dependent upon you and upon your Holy Spirit, without whom we could have nothing. You are our life, Lord. Help us to rest in you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, well, in 1986, there was a movie called Clockwise. I don't know if you've ever seen it or not, but it has John Cleese in it uh, from Monty Python fame. Um, and John Cleese is playing a character named Brian Stimson. Brian Stimson is the headmaster of this small public school, but he had just been nominated or elected to chair the annual headmaster's conference at this fictional University of Norwich. So he's pretty excited about this, and he's, he's uh, got his, his uh, speech all ready to go. And, and Stimson is, is obsessively organized and punctual. His entire life it runs like clockwork, which is where the name of the movie comes from. And he's the first headmaster of a comprehensive school to chair this big conference. So he's very excited. He shares the big news with his students, has this big assembly, and repetitively recites his speech. And then, when he starts his journey to University of Norwich, it all starts off with him getting on the wrong train. And then he finds the right train, and he leaves his speech on the wrong train, so now he's up without his speech. And the rest of the movie is just this unfolding of just all these debacles and all of this mess that continues for this very prompt and precise man. His life is unraveling and falling apart as he's going to make this monumental speech that he was looking so forward to making. As he's finally exhausted, he, he, they, they get stuck in the mud with this car. He's, he finally is driving with this student it's a, um, who, who's driving him out to Norwich. They get stuck in this farmer's field in the mud. He's all dirty. His, his suit is now just full of mud. He goes and tries to find help, and he ends up at this monastery. Uh, and and he's, he gets his clothes changed, but they give him a monk's cassock. So now he's, he's kind of running around, you know, trying to, to get there on time, looking like a monk. And his student is saying, come on, we got to go. And, and so they're, they're now without a car for, because the car was stuck. They're trying to flag down a ride. And you see them just running down this, this dirt road, and he's just, just exhausted. Finally, he sits down. He's out of breath. And he lays on the ground, and his student is saying, Come on, Mr. Stimson, let's make it. We could, we could do this. And he breathes, and he says, It's not the despair I can't stand. It's the hope. <laughs> it's the hope that he couldn't stand. Despair actually felt better than hope. Why? Well, because hope requires action. There is a labor that always accompanies hope. And despair, although it's manifested in various ways, it's all about giving up, surrender. And we think about despair, it's central to this passage today. Ezekiel 37, 1 through 14 commentator on Ezekiel named Patrick Fairbairn says this, there can be no reasonable doubt as to the purpose of this remarkable vision that 
Ezekiel had. It is intended to counteract the feeling of despair. See, Ezekiel's vision is a call to stop despairing and begin hoping. To hope in the God who is there. And a God who promises to bring revival, redemption, and to pour out his spirit to give himself to his people. But where was this despair coming from? Well, Ezekiel is, is prophesying in the, probably around the late 500s B.C., uh, late to mid-500s B.C. And in 722 B.C., so about 150 years before that, the northern kingdom, Israel, was already taken away by the Assyrians, already conquered and taken away. So they were scattered out. And then Judah, the southern kingdom, was conquered by Babylon. And that was in 586. And so now all of God's people who were delivered out of Egypt into the new land are now scattered about, dispersed. Psalm 137 recounts the captives of Babylon. They say, by the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. They say, how can we sing the songs of Zion in a foreign land? It's a lament. They're weeping. What got them there? What got them there was the false confidence they built in doing what was right in their own eyes. Ignoring their God, ignoring Yahweh, and following after other gods. It brought destruction of the land and a scattering of God's people. It brought God's judgment upon them. Israel was no more, and God sent his prophet Ezekiel to bring words of judgment. But, as we'll see today, also words of hope in the midst of their despair. In the, in the midst of this despair, hope that's present is beckoning, beckoning them, beckoning us to hang on. Hope beckons us to stay focused on the goal, to stay focused on the prize, to not to give up. When we believe that there is no longer any hope, then despair moves in and says, that's it, we're done. There is no more. This passage starts off with God giving Ezekiel a view of the depths of the despair that the people in Babylon were experiencing. So verse, thir- verse 1 in chapter 37, the hand of the Lord was upon me. This is the, the, the power, the work of the Lord was upon Ezekiel here. And he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord. You're going to see this word spirit, ruha, is how is, is, is close as I can get in Hebrew. But you're going to see this word a lot in this passage. But it's translated three different ways. It's translated as breath, it's translated as wind, and it's translated as spirit. There's really not a good English word to translate ruha. But it is the moving of God. It's, it's, the, it's kind of a, an image of, of moving wind with power to give life. God's spirit moving. And he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley... And it was full of bones. And he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. Do you see how it's explaining this? It's not just saying there were bones. It's saying there was very many of them. So these were unburied bones in this valley. Some commentators uh, describe this perhaps a battle scene where the, the army was, was ransacked and decimated, killed and left there to die. 
birds picking over the bones, and the bones just left out to dry, parched from the sun and turning white at the depths of almost decomposing. These bones were a symbol of finality. They were a symbol of death. They were a symbol of hopelessness and despair. And isn't it interesting that Yahweh asks Ezekiel, Son of man, can these bones live? Son of man, by the way. Now, we, we, we know Jesus calls himself son of man, but in this, in this context, son of man is, is kind of like saying son of a man, human being, in relationship to the Almighty. Son of man, can these bones live? He's asking, Ezekiel, is there any hope? Is there any hope here? I think about this and think about how far our contemporary culture has, has declined in its acceptance of God, in its understanding of universal truths, in its understanding of a creator to whom we are accountable. And I think, what if God was asking a modern-day prophet, a modern-day prophet who no longer believed that there was a sovereign creator. Son of man, can these bones live? Perhaps he would say no. Science proves that once something is dead, it cannot come back to life. Further, these are simply pieces of decomposing calcium and minerals. Reason and logic deem this as impossible. But that's not Ezekiel's response, because Ezekiel has a knowledge of the Most High. And what Ezekiel answers, he has a good answer. He says, Lord, you know. Ezekiel didn't know. To look at these decomposing bones and for God to say, can these live? What else are we going to think? It sure doesn't look like it. But Ezekiel defers to the Lord. Smart move. Ezekiel's response was based, though, on a knowledge of an all-powerful God who controlled life and death in all creation. He didn't say no. He said, Lord, you know. He was in the midst of a people who no longer believed there was any hope. They were in their own state of despair. And understand, what God was asking is, and, and what, he, what Ezekiel was talking about, any hope that Ezekiel saw in this was not in the bones themselves coming back to life, but his hope was in the life giver, the sovereign Yahweh. That's where his hope was. And so Yahweh puts Ezekiel to work now. Now, in the midst of this potential hope, he puts Ezekiel to work. He calls him to action. He tells him to put this hope to work through the word and through the spirit. And then he said to me, prophesy over these bones. So what Yahweh is telling Ezekiel now is, preach to these bones. Hmm. Now this was a vision. But the Lord really puts our faith to the test sometimes, doesn't he? Preach to these dried out bones. And tell them something. Prophesy over these bones and say to them, and by the way, notice that God calls Ezekiel to speak. He doesn't do it himself. 
But he calls his servant to speak to the bones. He calls on his prophet to do the work of speaking his word. And what's he supposed to say? He's supposed to say, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. It's very important. This is the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones. Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord. Because of these things that I'm doing, you shall know that I am the Lord. Something about that phrase right there, you shall know that I am the Lord, they shall know that I am the Lord, that happens 60 times. That's said 60 times in Ezekiel. In one way or another, I shall know, you'll you'll know that I am the Lord, or they'll know that I am the Lord. It's said that much. That's significant. And we'll talk about that more because it's going to be said more in this passage. So I prophesied, Ezekiel says, as I was commanded. Ezekiel obeyed. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together. This is kind of a sound, perhaps, of an earthquake happening. Imagine you're you're preaching to these dried-up bones, and all of a sudden you feel the ground shaking, and you hear this rattling. And the bones are coming together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them. And skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy to the Ruach. Prophesy to the Spirit. Preach to the Spirit. Son of man, and say to the Spirit, say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, O Ruach, and Ruach on these slain, that they may live. We have the word, the power of God's word bringing the bones together and the power of God's spirit being poured out now, coming on these bones and making them live. This is, this, this Ruha is the same Ruha spirit, the breath of God in, in Genesis 2-7 when he breathes life into Adam. It's the Ruha of God breathing life into Adam. That spirit is life-giving. Psalm 104, 29, 30 says, when you take away their breath, their ruha, they die and return, and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, your ruha, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. So Ezekiel says, so I prophesied as he commanded me. Again, Ezekiel obeyed. And the breath came into them and they lived and stood on their feet An exceedingly great army. Notice that the power here is in God's word, in God's spirit, not in Ezekiel's actions, not in Ezekiel's obedience. Ezekiel's God's servant, remember. He was called by God. This could be anyone. Could be anyone, because whom God calls, he empowers, he equips. And when he tells you to preach his word, when he tells you to proclaim his word, it's his word that's going to do the work. And when he pours out his spirit on someone, it's his spirit that's being poured out. Nothing to do with the servant. Then he said to me, 
This is who the great army is. Then he said to me, Son of man, this is verse 11. Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Do you hear the despair in the house of Israel? The house of Israel is saying, our bones are dried up. This is us. This is how we feel. Our hope is lost. Imagine how you would feel if you have this land given to you and then you blow it. And then you're taken away and you no longer have the land. Our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. They know that they're dead. They're not trying to fake it. They feel the weight of this hopelessness. Have you ever felt that? <laughs> you ever felt that, that you've totally blown it with the Lord? You turned your back on him, and you figure he's done with you. You feel empty. You feel a sense of dryness in your own bones because you are just despondent. That's how Israel felt. But this isn't all about despair. Look what God says to them. Therefore prophesy in verse 12 and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves. See, they're feeling dead. They're sensing themselves. They're seeing themselves as dead, as, as lifeless, as nothing but a bunch of bones in a field. And he's saying, I'm going to raise you up. I'm going to open your graves and raise you up, O oh my people. And he calls him my people. He didn't reject them as his people. He said, my people. And I will bring you back into the land. I will bring you back. You might think it's over. And if left to yourselves, it would be. But I'm the Lord your God. I'm the Holy One of Israel, he says. I'm your Savior and Redeemer, as we sing from Isaiah. I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, your Redeemer. In verse 13 of Ezekiel 37, he says, And you shall know, once again, you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you up from your graves, O my people. That's how you're going to know. You're going to know that when I give you new life. You're going to know that I'm the Lord. And I'll put my spirit, this ruha is going to be in you. I'll put my ruha within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord again. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. Amen. Verse 14. Why is it so important that the people come to know that he is the Lord? Why is it said so many times? And I think we can figure that out. We want to know. We want to be sure. What does knowing he is the Lord do for people in despair? People with troubled hearts, people whose hearts are troubled from despair and hopelessness, need comfort. Need comfort from the assurance of the Lord's power and presence. 
And we need the assurance that he is who he says he is. We need the assurance that he will do what he says he will do. And the way we know that he will keep his promises is to know who he is, that he is the Holy One of Israel. He is the Creator, our Heavenly Father. What's more, he not only gives us hope, but he is our hope. He is our hope. And what I love about this, yes, hope requires action. But not without the one who gives us hope acting first. He acts first. Think about this. Yahweh called Israel to believe and obey. But he first proved himself to them. He provided a deliverer in Moses and brought them out of Egypt. Then he gave them the law. He provided the hope of all hopes by giving us his only son to be our deliverer. A deliverer in Jesus, who though he was, as as Paul says, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself. Emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. To the point of despair. To the point of what we would think is hopelessness. That he would be dead for days. Son of man. Can that one live? Only you know, Lord. Only you know, Lord. And yes, we know the story. We know the victorious resurrection that happened on the third day because of the Holy Spirit being poured out on him. Because of God's Spirit doing his work, Jesus himself being God incarnate, raised from death to life, in a hopeless situation, what appeared to be hopeless, God did his work, opened up the tomb, and Jesus was resurrected. Not this time, not a vision this time. Not a vision, not a dream, but a real physical resurrection. Our Lord Jesus was raised to new life. Romans 1 says that through this resurrection, through this resurrection, what God did He was declared the Son of God by the resurrection from the dead. It was the act of God raising him from the dead that declared him as the Son of God. And then he appears to his disciples. He appears to his disciples and shows them, Yes, I am who I said I was, and I will keep my promise to you. And now, I want you to wait. I want you to go and wait until my spirit is poured out upon you, until you receive help from on high. Because you see, it's to your advantage that I go away. Because when I go away, I'm giving you myself like you have never had me before. Because it's the power of my spirit that's going to be poured out upon you, and you will do things that you never dreamed of. But that hope is calling you to action. Which is why he said, all authority, before he left, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
And he says, now go therefore. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. But I'm not leaving you alone. You are not left as orphans. I am with you always. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He poured out his spirit on us and fulfilled his promise and continues to fulfill that promise. Brothers and sisters, in despair, spiritually empty, feeling like a pile of dead bones, Can your bones live? Can you be revived? Is there hope for revival? Well, we know, looking back at what the Lord has done, what his word promises, we can say yes and amen to that. There is hope because of the one who died and rose, because of the one who poured his spirit out upon us. Now may we seek him daily. May we consume his word because it's his word that is the power. It's his spirit. May we bathe ourselves in the presence of his spirit and seek that revival continually for our struggling souls and for our community. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your spirit and we thank you that you have poured out yourself upon us. Lord, I pray for a revival of your church, a revival of your community, Lord. I pray that we would be filled with the joy of your spirit today, that we would learn to depend upon you, that we would learn to love you, to trust you, that you would deepen our faith and deepen our roots in you. Father, help us to love one another, and yes, help us to go and make disciples of all nations, and help us to go in your power, because that's the only power we have, Lord, that's worth anything. We thank you. It's in Christ's name. Amen.